Okay, so um, don't you love it that, um, that our salvation in Hebrews chapter 3 is called a great salvation? You know, it's not a mediocre one. <laughs> it's, it's not a just get by. In, f- in fact, when you read the book of Hebrews, the word that appears over and over again in the book of Hebrews, 13 times in fact, is the word better. Everything's better. Uh, and it's like, you know, listen, I had a Mazda at one time. That's, it's okay. It's okay. You know? But a friend of mine has got an Audi R8. And I'm allowed to drive it any time I like. How many of you know that's better? How many of you know? It's like, oh, my goodness. This is worth getting points on your license for. It's like, you know, like my wife. My wife is the most wonderful driver in the world. Like when she's driving, the kids have a sort of saying about my wife and I. They said, when, you've got a choice, basically. Drive with dad, scared to death. Drive with mum, bored to death. <laughs> I was actually going to write into Top Gear that my wife, who got a speeding ticket, for going the slowest anyone's ever driven in their life. So she was driving through Bushy Park, which is a 10-mile-an-hour limit, and she got fined three points on her licence for going 15 miles an hour. <laughs> there was a guy with a radar gun, pulled her over... Said, sorry, madam, you were driving 15 miles an hour. She said, what are you, what's wrong with that? He said, it's a speed limit of 10 miles an hour. I think that's amazing. I never let her forget about that for the whole year. You got three points on your license. It's like, oh, my goodness. That must be a record. You know, so how fast were you going? 15 miles an hour. Ooh, dangerous. Ooh, you risky girl. (laughs) But everything about our life in Jesus is better. It it says it's a better resurrection with better promises. It's a better covenant. It's better, 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 better. It's a great salvation. And uh, today is the day we celebrate that salvation, the resurrection of Jesus. It couldn't get any better. There's a lovely anecdotal story of where, it's not in the Bible, okay, so it's anecdotal. That means not true. Somebody talked about it. But, it, but it's a story about where Pilate was talking to Joseph of Arimathea. And they were sitting down over coffee one morning, and, and he says, Joseph, he said, you spent all that money on an amazing tomb. You know, you invest in it for years. It was about your future. It was about your family. The generations being buried there. And then you give it to Jesus. And he goes, don't worry, he's only got it for the weekend. <laughs> that's a matter of that's a matter of vision, a matter of faith there. And you know, I, I just believe <laughs> it's a good one, eh? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read this to you. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heard to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. You know, I think one of the greatest problems I perceive, I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in many, many people's lives. The greatest problem is that you allow your life to drift. Now, let me tell you, when I was, I grew up in Hampton in Middlesex. Uh, Hampton is on the River Thames. You can go on Hampton, you can go one way all the way to Kingston without going through a lock. 
think, if my memory serves me right. And you can go the other way, all the way down to Shepparton. And um, being on the River Thames is great. You can just get in a boat and you can drift. You can just let the current take you. How many know drifting on a river is fantastic? You can do that in Oxford. You get one of those punting things. How many has ever tried that? That is way more difficult than it looks. Uh, but, you know, if you can't do it very well, just drift. The river will take you. It's fine. The worst that can happen is you have to swim to a river bank or you have to paddle to the river bank. That's the worst that can happen. But how many of you know if you're in open sea, drifting's not a great idea? Drifting in open sea is not a great idea. And life is like an ocean. Life is like an open sea. God does not want you to drift. And, and the danger is that you just let stuff happen to you rather than bringing God into your world, into your life, into your choices. And, and if, if you just allow stuff happen to you, there is a course in this world that it will take you down. There is, there is a path you'll end up going down. And the difficulty is sometimes we reach a point where we think, oh, my goodness, how did I get here? And, and at that moment, you realize the reason I got here was I never made a series of choices back here. I just went with the flow. I just drifted. And the Bible says, listen, the one thing that we must learn not to do is to drift. We must give the more earnest heard to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. You know, it's interesting over the years as our church has grown, one of the things that I've had to learn to do is to empower other people to lead and empower other people. But people say to me, well, what's your role then as, as a senior pastor? And I say, well, well, here's what I do. I adjust for drift. In other words, if you're a captain on a ship, you, you, you set the course for a direction. There's a place you want to go. But how many of you know, no matter how well you set the course, you're having to deal with two things that are very, very unpredictable. One is winds and the other is tides and undercurrents. And, and there are things that you can't anticipate when you set the course for the ship. And so if you're a good captain, what you do is from time to time, you check the course to see are you on course. And the easiest way to make sure that you get to your destination is to make course corrections as you go along. In, in other words, the longer you wait to make a course correction, how many of you know the bigger turn that you have to make? But if you're making constant just little corrections all the time, you, you hardly even notice it. And, and life is like that. The easiest way not to drift is to have a clear sense about where you're going and then just to make course adjustments along the way. That's why Paul in Ephesians 4 talks about the church and he says, you've got to be careful about every wind of doctrine. You can't stop those winds coming in, but you can stop them blowing you off course. You can make a correction for them and allow for them. And I think so many times in life, instead of making corrections, what happens is we get blown off course and we think, well, okay, we're, just, we're going here now. Uh, and, and sometimes you can get such a strong wind, the best thing to do is run with it, but then you correct it. Yeah. Then you correct it. And I found in my life the best way for me to reach where I believe God has called me to go is to think about, well, where, where is it I'm heading and how is my life now aligning? And so it's about bringing alignment all the time. So the, the thing that I do most of the time now is 
I'm letting people run with their ministries, run. And then from time to time, I'll just make a little correct. I'll yeah. say, hey, let's bring that back into alignment. Hey, you know, that we have a great guy on our team. Um, his name is Neil Harvey. He's brilliant. And, uh, you know, Neil is at the conference and he's emceeing and he's doing, he's doing such a great job. Neil is one of those guys, if you ever read his book, it's called Uncaged. So he's a guy who met Jesus in prison. It's a brilliant story. His, his book is in every single prison in the UK, and there's people in ministry today because they read his book. And uh, here's Neil now, 20 years later, and now he lives in the second most expensive postcode in the entire UK, St. George's Hill in Weybridge. That's what a lot of famous people live there. Putin's daughter lives there, by the way. Not allowed to tell you that, but... <laughs> Too late. <coughs> so, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah. so there's a lot of famous people live in, it's a gated community. So if you want to go down that road, there's a barrier. It's like, who are you going to see today? Where you get an interview. Wow. It's like, I said to the guy, I come here three times a week. You know me. Does it still have to ask you, sir? And uh, they take it very seriously gated community so neil's got this little story he says well i went from one gated community to another <laughs> gated community <laughs> it's a good story but he's taught, he's doing a great job emceeing on uh, on this thing and then he, he starts talking about our intern program it's called advance and he and he gets up and he goes you really want to come on our intern program especially if you've got nothing better to do <laughs> And I'm on the front row looking at my executive pastor saying, what? What? You know, what a great way to recruit people, eh? Yeah, we've got this amazing program. If you've got nothing better to do with your life, just come on our program. Imagine recruiting for the West End. You know, you want someone in a top show. Yeah, if you've got nothing better to do, just come and be part of the cast here, you know. We'll take anybody. You know, you available? Yeah, you're unemployed. Yeah, yeah. No skill. That's fine. <laughs> and, and I remember talking to Neil Alters and said, Neil, did you did you notice anything about the way you phrased it today? You know, he doesn't mind me telling the story. He got his permission. And he goes, Oh, mate. He says, As soon as the words came out of my laugh, he says, I couldn't catch them. He says, They came out. I couldn't catch them. He said, I knew. Course correction. Just a, it's just a little thing. We don't want people who've got nothing better to do. We want people who feel called. We want people who feel, oh, God's speaking to my heart. You know, I just feel compelled. I feel I have to do this. Now, he knows that. He knows that. But sometimes we let stuff slip out because we drift a little. And when we drift, we just need this course correction. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three things that I think cause us to drift. Three things that cause us to drift. Is that okay? Does that sound good? Okay, let let me read you a couple of quotes. I don't know if the guys can put this up, but this is by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Maybe we're going to get this. Uh, And here's what he has to say. To reach a port, we must sail, sometimes with the wind and sometimes against it, but we must not drift or lie at anchor. Isn't that a great quote? Uh, He's an American author, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Here's another one by Rick Warren. I like this one. Rick Warren says this. You drift through life and let things happen to you, or you go by design and say, this is what I'm intended to do. 
So either drift through life or you have intentionality. Let me read to you from Jesus in Luke 9.51. Here's what it says. This is about Jesus. At that time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The old King James says he set his face like a flint. Isn't that amazing? So, so talk about intentionality. Here's Jesus. He's know, he knows he's going to Jerusalem. He knows it's going to be the triumphal entry. He knows then within a week there's going to be a crucifixion. But he sets his face like a flint. He is resolute I'm going to fulfill the intended purpose. There's no drifting with Jesus. You know, at at this time, it's like, no, guys, no more traveling around. We've been doing that for three years. Now, this is the destination. This is the climax. This is the purpose for which I came. And he's resolute in the direction he goes. You know, and I want to say to you, come on, let's be like Jesus. Let's make some decisions. Uh, Let's make some decisions about where we're going in life. Let's make some decisions about who are we going to hang out with. You know, it says in the book of Proverbs, if you walk with the wise, you become wise. You know, I discovered when I was a teenager, I was an idiot. (laughs) You know why? Because of who I hung out with. I just hung out with people who just did crazy stuff, and I ended up doing crazy stuff. I remember hanging out when I was 18 years of age with a friend of mine. And, and he was just one of these crazy guys. Every time I was with him, I ended up in a fight. Because he, he's the sort of guy who, who, who somebody would look at him wrong and he'd go, who are you looking at? And, you know, there's this whole macho thing is, I'm looking at you. You know, and it sort of escalates, you know. It's like the macho, macho, and so everybody tries to be macho. And I'd be around him. I said, you know, Ian, forget it. It's all right. It's all right, you know. He goes, no, no, I don't like the way he's looking at me. It's like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> Ended up in a bundle. It's like, I, I can't keep doing this. I can't, you know, going out with black eyes and stuff like that. Just could not, you know. And very shortly after I stopped hanging around with that guy, you know, there was, he was in a multiple car crash and all kinds of stuff was going on. And it's like, if you walk with the wise, you become wise. But the companion of fools gets destroyed. That's what it goes on to say. The companion of fools. We've got to make choices, have intentionality. So here's the first thing I want to say. I want to talk about the first thing that will stop you um, um, or that will allow you to drift. It's, it's there in Hebrews chapter 3, if we, if we go back, or chapter 2. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews chapter, chapter 2 there, verses one, and two, 1 to 3. How shall we escape if we neglect? I believe the first thing that we need to do to stop drifting is just don't neglect don't neglect it let me give you a dictionary definition of neglect here's what it says to pay little or no attention to i know there's a few wives here thinking that's my husband (laughs) no not really to be careless or indifferent to to disregard to disregard. I've got a little video here about a garden. It's a sort of a, if you can play that little video. This is a garden before and after kind of a thing. Take a look at this. Boom. This is before. It's like my garden.
before and after. Four weeks later. How many, have, how many have got gardens that look like the first set of pictures? Yeah, there's one honest person in the room here, two honest people. Anyone else want to give their life to Jesus? Yeah. It takes effort to create the last set of pictures. It, it, it means you have to give attention to it. You can't disregard it. Because here's the thing about life. You know, when it talks in Genesis that God placed Adam in a garden, you know, you get the whole of creation, of course, but then somebody had to create the garden. And the first gardener was the Lord himself, not Adam. Adam was put in to tend and to keep what God had created. And so God had worked on the garden, and it was beautiful. The word Eden means delight. And so here was this delightful environment, and God, God was basically saying, now maintain that. Keep it like that. Keep it like that. Don't, don't disregard it. Don't neglect it. Don't, don't uh, let it um, run wild. And every single one of us has a nature that unless we take heed to the word of God, it'll run wild. You know, kids are like that, aren't they? Listen, I, my oldest daughter is 38. My youngest is 24. I know a bit about raising kids, okay? I'm at that age now when I can speak with a certain amount of authority. And here's what I know about kids. They will run wild unless you give them boundaries, unless you sometimes say yes and you sometimes say no, unless you say to them, yeah, that's okay. No, actually, that's inappropriate. You know, no, Jonathan, you do have sisters, but you can't just walk in their room now. You know, you do what I do. You knock on the door. By the way, that's very important. Let let me say to dads here, if you've got daughters, there comes a point where, with your daughter, you don't just burst in the room because you say, I pay the rent. (laughs) That's not what you do. Because what you need to do is validate a young woman's sense of personhood. And so as a father, when my kids were around about 9, 10, 11 years of age with the girls, I would knock on the door and I'd wait outside. I'd say, are you ready? Is that okay? Can I come in? And you know what? If they understand that their father respects that boundary, then when they go out with a boy, they already understand a boy just can't walk in because my dad doesn't even do that. That's why I think fathers need to take daughters out on dates. I take all of my daughters out on dates even now. I take them out on a date and I just, you know, open the car door, show them respect. Say, darling, you look really marvelous tonight. Thank you. This is how a boy should treat you. So when they go out with a boy who doesn't treat them like that, they've got self-respect. They say, I'm not going to go out with you. That's not how boys should treat girls. But if a girl has just had a father who pushes her around, swears at her, walks in her room anytime he wants, just shouts at her and does all that kind of stuff, you know what? She loses a sense of self-respect. So we've got to build that up. A little bit of fathering advice there. (laughs) But listen, you you can't neglect what God has given to you. It's a great salvation. Don't neglect it. Pay attention to it. You know, develop a, a devotional time. I don't care if your devotional only lasts five minutes. Listen, you can download apps on your phone. I've got one on my phone. Every single day, a little verse appears. Every, this is the verse for today, and I read it. I read it, and I meditate on it. Now, there's other times where I sit down and I read the Bible much more seriously. But listen, what a great way to begin. What an easy way to begin. 
It's just, it's all done for you. And if you develop a habit five minutes a day, you know what, that can turn into 10 or 15 minutes. But if you neglect it and say, oh, you know, Barry, he does an hour a day. I don't know how he does it. Well, I'll tell you how he does it. He started with five minutes. You know, last year I started weight, doing weights, working out. I don't know if it shows, but um, I'm not, I'm, I'm losing the Winnie the Pooh feel. You know, you know the, the soft and cuddly. And uh, I remember the first time I went along and I worked out with my friend Neil and it was like, oh my God, I thought I was going to die. I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack. I thought, blimey. And um, I never realized that, that, that working out releases endorphins and all kinds of other nice chemicals. That actually, at the end of it, you know, when you catch your breath back, you actually feel good. You actually feel good. Now I go three times a week. It's like, yeah, come on. You know what? In the beginning, it was hard. Now I, I really, really enjoy it and look yeah. forward to it. Because yeah. I didn't neglect it. I didn't say, ah, you know, I'm over 60. That ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> you can say that. You can say that about anything. But the moment you neglect it, something else takes over. It just runs wild. So, so my first point this morning is, come on. Let's not drift because we neglect. Can you imagine being captain on the ship? You just neglect to look at the chart. You neglect to look at the compass. You neglect to look at where you're going. And you end up in a different country. Fine for you. What about your passengers? Can you imagine getting, getting on a bus, you know, the 261 that goes here. And then, you know, it's, you think it's going to Kingston? You end up in Tennington? You, know, it's like, <laughs> you neglected to turn right there. You just kept on driving. You were in your own little world. You know, don't neglect your faith. Don't neglect what God has given you. But, but take responsibility for it. Be intentional about it. Here's the second thing I want to say. Don't be distracted. So we're getting a little, little foretaste of movie May now with this clip. This is, this is a great trip clip for not being distracted. Take a look at this one. The Matrix. The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Were you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? I was... Look again. Who's it? This... This isn't the Matrix. No. It's another training program designed to teach you one thing. <laughs> Isn't that good? What a great illustration. You know, are you paying attention? Or are you looking at the woman in red? <laughs> How many times have you ever had a car accident because you got distracted? I'm here. You know, it's, it's, when you get distracted in life, sometimes it's not important. You can quickly regain your attention. But sometimes when you're driving at speed or going at speed, a distraction for one or two seconds could be fatal. And, and here in, in, in this movie, he's trying to teach him there's things 
when you enter the matrix, there's things there that you are unaware of, that they come in disguise, they come cloaked. You know, it talks in the book of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul says, even, even Satan himself is able to present himself as an angel of light. And the enemy doesn't mind you being a Christian as long as you're either a neglectful Christian or a distracted Christian. Wow. You know, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, we can get hurt in life. Sometimes somebody can do something that disappoints us. Somebody, sometimes somebody can let us down. And you know what? Then the disappointment takes over and suddenly you're distracted. I, I think of Martha and Mary who, you know, Martha was a wonderful woman. She welcomed Jesus into her home. And, and, but having welcomed him into her home, she had these expectations, especially of her sister. How many of you know we've got expectations of family? Yeah. yeah, right? We've got all these expectations. This is how we're meant to behave. This is what we're meant to do. And often we don't articulate our expectations. We just have them. And it's like we have a way of, of communicating our expectations. When we look at people, we go, you know, you ever heard that one? You know, my wife does not need to use many words when she's unhappy with me. It's a look usually. It's like, okay, I'm in trouble. And, um, you know, here was Mary and here was Martha and Jesus came into the home. And then Jesus sits down, he's teaching all the disciples. And Mary joins the disciples and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening. And Martha's preparing food, but she's not happy. She's not happy. She's kind of getting mad out there. She's getting really resentful. And, you know, I've got this picture in my head because my mother's Italian. And um, how many of you know Italians are very passionate people? It's like my dad was a flatliner, but my mother, it was up here or it was down here. In fact, when my mother was speaking Italian in the house, it was either really, really good or really, really bad. In other words, she broke into Italian every time she was really happy or she was really mad and somebody was going to die. You know, be killed, I mean. And and I remember one time she was going off in Italian and (laughs) and it didn't sound good. Uh, my, my father came into the, to the room with my brother and I. He goes, what have you done, boys? And we said, nothing, Dad. He goes, it must have been me. I'm going out. <laughs> but, but when my mother was in the kitchen, <laughs> when my mother was in the kitchen and she was not happy, everything got loud. You don't put a pan on the stove. It was like bang on the stove. You know, you didn't close the cupboard doors. Oh, my goodness, none of those soft door closures you can buy today, those were made for Italians. You know, whack. (laughs) That would would have driven my mother insane. What's that doing there? Take that away. I want to slam the door. I want to make a noise, you know. She would go off like that. And, uh, you know, I've sort of got this picture. Here's Martha, and I just imagine... Jesus is in the room teaching, and there's the sort of kitchen there. And I just imagine everything getting louder. It's like a drop a few hints here. You know, and and, and as the louder, occasionally you'd hear the word, Mary! (laughs) (laughs) And nothing's changing, nothing's happening. Then the door bursts open. And Martha, can you imagine somebody bursting in right now while I'm teaching? Bursting in right now. And that's what she did. Jesus is in the middle of teaching. It's Jesus. And he's teaching, and she goes, Lord, she must have been older than Jesus, because nobody's going to talk to Jesus unless they're younger. But she talks to him like he's the little brother. It's like, Jesus, don't you care? (laughs) Mary has left me to serve alone. 
tell her to come and help me in the kitchen. It's like, I'm going to tell off Jesus and I'm going to tell off Mary and we're going to just, we're going to have a little scene here right now. It's like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing is that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if somebody burst in here and say, Barry, you've left me the kids all alone. Where's the red shirt people? They're all enjoying Peter right now. Tell them to get out here. It's like, Oh, it's like a butt-clenching moment, isn't it? It's like, oh, goodness. It's like, what do we do now? And uh, <laughs> can, you, can you say that in Essex? Yeah. I hope you can. Okay, <laughs> delete. Okay. And so here's, here's Martha. She's accusing Jesus. She's accusing Mary. And Jesus is so gracious. It's like, Martha, Martha, you are distracted by many things. Isn't that interesting? So here's, here's a Christian who's serving Jesus, who's welcomed him into her home, and she wants to bless him. But in the process of all of that, where her motivation is basically good, she's angry because she got distracted. And she's got resentful. Ever met a Christian like that? Oh, yeah, I was working for church. Yeah, I was serving. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't care. They didn't care. I was working all kinds of hours. I just left me to I burnt out, so I've left. Don't care about church now. Or maybe you got distracted. And Jesus says to her, hey, Martha, one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen that good part. You know, Luke is one of the most annoying writers in the world. (laughs) He's actually a genius writer. It's annoying and genius at exactly the same time. Because he never finishes a story. It's like, so did she go in and sit next to Mary? Or did she go back in the kitchen in a huff? I want to know what she did. And the reason Luke never finishes the story is because it's not about Martha. It's about you and me. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay distracted? And so many things can distract you. And the enemy puts things in your way to distract you. Sometimes he'll give you an experience of church that was just so bad. And listen, I've experienced dysfunctional churches and dysfunctional leadership. Sometimes the church is just really, really boring. Sometimes the church is really, really authoritarian. Sometimes it's really, really legalistic. You can find those kinds of churches. And you can say, oh, yeah, you know, I just, I got distracted. That's just not for me anymore. Rather than saying, I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to keep looking for a church where I feel like I'm loved, I feel like I'm accepted, I feel like I'm valued, I feel like the presence of God is there, I can encounter Jesus there, where my family is growing and welcomed. You know, it's like, listen, if you go to a dentist, how many love going to dentists? I hope we don't have any in the room. God bless you if you're here. But you're scary people to most of us. I remember I've been to some horrendous dentists. Horrendous. I remember one time I was, I was in the dentist chair having an extraction done, and after half an hour, the guy gave up. He said, I'm, he said, I'm sorry. He said, you're going to have to go to the hospital. And I said, to get, have this taken out. And I said, what, now? He said, no, you'll have to make an appointment. I said, well, that's going to take a couple of weeks, isn't it? 
I said, what are you going to do when the, when the anesthetic wears off? And he said, I'll take some tablets. So, so I went home, and after an hour, it was like I was still bleeding. It was like I was in agony. I wanted to kill him. I was, I was not feeling very Christian in that moment. I want you to know. It was like I was in agony. So after about seven hours of total agony, I rang, I rang this, this dentist. I said, look, this is what's happened, da 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 I literally ended up going to the dentist at midnight. He came out to his surgery, paid a thousand pounds. I would have paid two. I was in so much pain. I didn't care. Now, here's the thing. I could have gone home and said, I'm never going to a dentist again because I had a bad experience. And I've met Christians like that. Well, if you had a bad experience, learn. Use your discernment. Ask a different set of questions next time. Like, how many teeth have you pulled? (laughs) The next dentist I went to. How many of you know that a graduate dentist only has to pull 40 teeth over three years? It might not even be as many as that. It's not many. It's a scary number. So I went to this dentist. I said, how many teeth have you pulled? He said, 400. I said, you can work on my mouth. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm at that age now where sometimes I go along to a dentist and I say, where's your mum? Do you know what I mean? It's like you're so young, you can't even grow a beard. It's like, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? I'm at that age now. It's like everybody is so much younger. It's like you go to a doctor. It's like this kid walks in. It's like, who are you? Yeah, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people have you treated? Do you know what I mean? And so sometimes we we sort of get distracted with people's age. I think that's why Paul said to Timothy, let no man despise your youth. You know, Timothy got up in the pulpit. Who's he? (laughs) Who's the kid? And we get distracted by things that we shouldn't get distracted by. Instead of focusing on what we should focus on. Okay, third and final thing. So if we're not going to drift, we've got to be people who don't neglect, we don't get distracted. Here's, here's the last one. We don't forsake. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Take a look at this scripture. It says this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You, you and I, we're meant to be stirrers in the best sense of that word. I know there's another type of stirrer. But here we're meant to stir up love and good works. Notice that, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is. Not forsaking. You see, you can be a person who neglects or a person who gets distracted. Or you, you can be a person who just forsakes. I'll show you one more clip from this lovely movie, Overboard with Goldie Horn. It's one of my favorite movies. T- take, take a look at this bit, this little clip. You're setting it up, guys. Oh, a bit. Go, go, yeah, go a little faster forward. because There we go. Touch me. What? Oh, hey, lady. I may be hard up, but I am definitely not that hard up. And I'm not going anywhere. And... Damn you! Man overboard! I get you for this, you... Not my tool belt! You owe me 600 bucks! Keep going! As you wish. Damn it, you lady, you're dead beat! 
I'm not poor. I'm quite happy. Everyone wants to be me. <laughs> what an ego, eh? So, so the premise of that little clip is that he's made her a wardrobe and he's done it in oak instead of pine and she's not happy and won't pay him and then, and then pushes him overboard. Do you know the word forsaken in the Greek literally means to throw overboard? So when you forsake something, you actually throw it overboard. Now, now here's the thing. If you neglect something, you can, you can go back and work on it. If you get distracted, your attention can come back again. But once you throw something... Yeah, come on up, man. Uh, but once you throw something overboard... <laughs> so funny, it's like universal, isn't it? Time's almost up. Oh, yeah, it is up. Um, <laughs> You know what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.10? He said this, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Have you ever had relationships where people threw you overboard? They just throw you over, they just jettison you. I don't know, stuff happens in life. They get offended like she did, and then you're overboard. You're out. You're pushed out of their world. You're not allowed to talk to them they don't want to see you. They don't want to connect. They're offended. They're living with an offense. You know what I love about Jesus? Here's what it says in Hebrews 13:5 about Jesus. I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I want to tell you that we serve a Savior who will never throw us overboard. He will never say to you, enough is enough you might walk away from him but he's never walking away from you you might neglect your faith and your relationship with him he's never going to neglect you you might be distracted but he's not distracted he's just waiting to get your attention and I believe that if we if we become intentional people you know I made a decision years ago I'm going to be somebody who goes to church I'm just going to be somebody because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. I'm going to make it a habit. I'm going to build it into my life. I'm going to build it into my family. We're going to be people who love God and love his church. Do you know, sometimes people have a way of separating themselves from the church. And they talk about the church like this. Oh, yeah, the church, the church. Well, do you know when you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you're baptized into his body? So when you talk about the church, you're talking about yourself. And, and somehow we make this distinction. No, 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 no. The church is us. And the church is Jesus. When he met Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you? And when have I done that? Well, because when you touch the body of Christ, you touch Jesus. Think about that next time you run down the church. You're running down Jesus. Come on, we are the church. We are the church. And I, I just made a decision. What kind of church do I want? What kind of church would I feel excited about? What kind of church would I, I want to bring my friends to? And I listed all the people in my world who didn't know Jesus. And I thought of all the stupid, embarrassing stuff we do in church. And I thought, well, why don't we stop doing that for a start? And then why don't we start doing this stuff, which is really good and really exciting? And I just remember when Jackie and I were just 35 people. That's how we started. 
And, and we just said, well, we won't do this, we won't do that. And I, I, I was in Bible college. I could preach for an hour, but no, we'll do 35 minutes. We don't want people... Um, we don't want people with small capacities to be overwhelmed with lots of teaching. So I took my three-point sermons and I'd preach a series of three sermons. Just do one point. You got three today. You're lucky. <laughs> but you got capacity. And we just changed different things. Instead of having loads and loads of notices, long notices, we started doing just two or three notices every week. No more. I remember once when I was leading a church right here in Colchester, we had 25 notices. And I thought, that's great. I was like, I remember somebody came up to me after the service and said, Peter, I just have to tell you, <laughs> after the fifth announcement, I forgot the first. And you had 25. I thought it was exciting, all the different things going on in the church. And it is exciting to have different things going on. But you don't have to say everything. You don't have to say everything. And so we just took it out and then we just decided, let's be passionate about Jesus. Let's be responsive. Let's be, I remember the first time people clapped in our church. I thought, ooh, that was good. And then another time, one clapped. How many of you know the sympathy clap is just the worst clap in the world? How many of you know that? It's just horrible, isn't it? It's like, oh, thank you for that one individual. It's like, you know, can you imagine that? You know, you're, you're at the London Palladium. There's one clap. It's like, thanks. <laughs> so we made a little rule in our church. And I just said, hey, church, you know, it's awkward to know when to clap, when not to clap. So here's what I'd like us to do. If it's worthy of a clap, but you're too scared to start it, but someone else does start it, we'll all join in. And so we had this little rule that we developed. If one claps, we all clap. But we don't want sympathy claps. We want genuine claps. But there's always one who's bold enough to go, yeah! And then everyone goes, oh, great, we can clap now. But everyone, you know, there's a whole group of us who are going, oh, I'm not sure whether to clap. I want to clap, not sure. You know, we're like this. And then the moment goes. And it's like the preacher lost the moment. He would have been so encouraged with that clap, but you missed it. You see what I mean? And so, hey, listen, we clap at performances. We clap at concerts. We, we clap in all kinds of situations. We're talking about Jesus and his kingdom. We're talking about salvation and healing. We're talking about the life of God with us. Why shouldn't we clap about that? There's a whole group of religious people saying, well, that's not how you behave in church. Well, where does it say that? When Jesus came into Jerusalem, in that triumphal entry, the children were shouting and praising God and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And all the religious people said, Jesus, you need to tell them to stop doing that. And Jesus says, have you never read in Psalm 8? Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you perfected praise. He said, if you tell them to stop, the very rocks themselves will cry out. Hey, I don't want to, I want to be better than a rock. I don't want to just have weight. I want to have a voice. And so I want to encourage us as the people of God. Can we stand to our feet? I want to encourage us as the people of God. Let's not just drift through life. Hey, listen, maybe you have been drifting. Maybe your relationship is drifting. Maybe your life is drifting. Maybe there's an aspect of your life today where you feel like, ah, oh, I've just been drifting. It's even possible to be in ministry and drift. But you know what? It's possible to change it. Don't neglect what God has given you. 
hey, if you've got a voice, you need to, you need to go up to Io and tell him, hey, Io, I can actually sing. He'll tell you whether or not it's true. <laughs> or I've got an instrument. Or, hey, you know, I make great coffee. Hey, look at my smile. You need to put me on the door. You know what I mean? Don't neglect what God has put in you. Don't be distracted when things happen that draw your attention away from Jesus, that draw your attention away from growing and maturing and taking step forward. And lastly, don't forsake the things that God has put into your world that will help you grow. Father, in Jesus' name right now, I just pray for every person in this room that this will be a group of people who fulfill their destiny and fulfill their purpose and that they will reach that place that you have ordained for this church here. I thank you. It's not just a church for a Colchester. It's a church for Essex. It's a church that's going to reach out. It's a church that's going to send out. And I pray that you send people into this place who become people of purpose. Hey, if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, we never, let, we never want a meeting to go by without giving people an opportunity. Sometimes it's about saying yes to Jesus for the very first time. Sometimes it's about bringing your life back into alignment and realizing my life has been going in the wrong direction. I need to make a course correction. And you just realign your life to Jesus by saying yes. If you're in any one of those two categories this morning, well, heads about and eyes are closed. I just want you to lift your hand up high. I'm going to pray with you and for you. Just lift it up high. Let me see it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You know where the alignment needs to come. You know where the change needs to come. Father, I speak grace upon grace. I thank you that no transformation that ever lasts in our lives does, happens without your grace being upon us. So for every heart responding to you today, Father, I speak grace. Your empowering presence to bring about change that will last. And Spirit of God, give us a sensitivity to hear your conviction, to hear your voice, to hear when you are making those little corrections along the way that will keep us in the path of life. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen. Thank you, friends. God bless.